one of my first recommendations is to focus on adding rather than subtracting from the standpoint of don't worry about getting rid of dairy or meat yet if you want to desire to completely get rid of those, but focus on adding more whole plant-based foods to your diet and the other stuff will start getting crowded out. Welcome to the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast, where healthcare professionals and health-minded consumers are provided with practical and helpful nutrition information on current and trending topics from subject matter experts. I'm your host, Mary Purdy, integrative dietitian and nutrition educator. Plant-based eating has grown exponentially in popularity, and for good reason. With benefits that exceed nutritional value alone, a large body of evidence has shown that an unprocessed, plant-focused approach to eating may support a variety of health conditions and, not to mention, is better for the environment. Now, as someone who cares deeply about the health of people and the planet, this is an approach to eating I can really get behind. Plus, I just can't get enough beans in my life. So without any further ado, our topic today is plant-powered eating for the prevention and management of chronic disease. And I am so excited to introduce our special guest to speak on this topic, registered dietitian, Allison Tierney. Allison is a nutrition expert and founder of Wholesome LLC, a private nutrition practice focused on preventing, managing, and even in some cases, reversing chronic disease with recommendations strongly rooted in science-based nutrition and lifestyle recommendations. Although she is board certified in oncology nutrition, her expertise goes beyond cancer and involves helping others with the management of chronic diseases such as heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, and autoimmune disorders. With a whole foods, plant-based approach, Allison also offers a variety of meal plans and recipes on her website, wholesomellc.com, in addition to classes and seminars to promote a wholesome diet. Allison is also a founding member of the Oregon Nutrition Advisory Board and sought-after speaker and presenter. Welcome, Allison. It's so great to meet you. So awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Now, I just shared some of your background, but it would be great to learn more about you and what actually drove your interest in pursuing a board certification in oncology nutrition. So I originally wanted to be a dietitian in high school, um, but I was kind of turned off from all the science that you'd have to take. And so I ended up going more of the family route, which was business. So I went to school and I have an undergraduate degree in business and leadership and management, but it was actually during my time getting that degree, I took a nutrition class and I loved it. It was my favorite class that I took. And I thought to myself, like, maybe someday I'll go back and get another degree in nutrition. And so I kind of thought about it like that. But unfortunately, during my time at that college, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. My grandfather was diagnosed with liver cancer. And even prior to that, one grandmother passed away from lung cancer. Another grandmother had breast cancer and my godmother had breast cancer. And after these turn of events with cancer diagnoses in my family, it really turned to this interest of, well, how could nutrition help prevent cancer? Could it help my family members during the course of treatment? And how might it benefit them into survivorship? And so I started asking myself those questions, started looking into becoming a dietitian again. And it was actually my now husband, boyfriend at the time, who was a really big advocate for me to go back to school to pursue a degree in dietetics and nutrition to become a dietitian. So thankfully, one thing just kind of led to another, and I was able to kind of get my dream job right out of school and work in the oncology population. And 
you can imagine that I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you today if nutrition didn't make a difference in all those different stages when it comes to cancer prevention during the course of treatment and into survivorship. And what a journey it, it took for you to get here. And so glad that you are here because I imagine you're helping so many people. And I feel like so many of us as healthcare practitioners have that personal story of, of seeing something happen with a family member, a friend, or a, a ourselves that have driven that passion. So I really hear that passion in your voice as well, which is always welcome when it comes to guiding others. And, and before we get into more specific questions on plant-based eating, Let's talk a little bit about terms. We hear things like plant forward, flexitarian. How are you personally differentiating between these and how, how are they different from a vegan diet? That's an awesome question. And I do think that each of those terms can mean different things to different people. But the way that we should, in my opinion, really think about it is vegan diet is a diet that is completely um, void of any animal products. Some people take that into the respect of just how they eat, but other people can transform that into their lifestyle in terms of no leather products or animal byproducts. So vegan is more of a definition of like avoidance of animal products as a whole. Now, when I think about nutrition and I think about a plant forward approach, it really can mean someone chooses to be vegan as well. Maybe they're going to get rid of 100% of animal products, but it can also mean just really a plant forward or really the focus of having a high amount of unprocessed plant foods in the diet. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not having any animal products. And it really depends on what an individual's personal approach is to what they're choosing. Do they want to include some animal products, but still have a very rich diet in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes? Or are they going to choose to be 100% exclusive in that plant-based diet? So it really kind of depends. But I think of a plant-based diet and someone that's truly focusing on unprocessed plant-based products, and they may or may not choose to have animal products in there. I like the term flexitarian. I really believe that that can be a really great approach because it kind of incorporates a little bit more of that mindset of intuitive eating where from the standpoint of, you know, I might still incorporate a little bit of animal products here and there. So I don't feel like I'm depriving myself, but I'm still going to focus on the health aspects of incorporating unprocessed foods. So in my practice, I work with people in both respects that they want to be hundred percent plant-based or they really just want a plant forward approach. And I really think that both can be a really excellent way to achieve ultimate health goals as an individual. There's really room for everyone in this conversation, isn't there? And, and I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, processed and ultra processed foods because it's great to differentiate between oftentimes people think of plant-based as being healthy. And that isn't necessarily the case when people are eating foods that are plant-based, but that are also completely processed foods. So thanks for making that, that, uh, that, that differentiation. And, and since our topic is on chronic disease, Lay out for us the chronic diseases which you think a plant-based or plant-forward diet might be the most helpful for. Oh, the list could be really long. Yes. But of course, reduction in cancer risk. We have seen that in the research and in the studies, some cancers more directly impacted than others, such as colorectal cancers, breast cancers, et cetera. Um, but also diabetes and insulin resistance control. We see a lot of great benefit in a plant forward diet for helping to reduce insulin resistance. But even some diseases that many people may not be familiar that they can be related to diet and lifestyle, such as Alzheimer's or even asthma, these things can be positively impacted by a plant-forward diet. 
but of course, a reduction in heart disease risk, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and then also even focusing on having a healthy gut microbiome, which we're learning so much more about these days in the last decade of research, how much the gut microbiome as the first important piece to helping to control or prevent chronic diseases in a total. So it can really impact so many things. We do have more research on some disease types than others, but it can be really beneficial for so many. Absolutely. There's so many ways to intervene and, and, and apply these therapeutic interventions with a plant-based diet for so many conditions that we're seeing out there. And I know that diet and you do too, is really personal. Changing diets is really hard. And you mentioned flexitarian. What are the studies saying about the effects of being, let's say, 100% vegan versus adopting a diet that is minimizing animal protein when working to manage some of these chronic diseases that you mentioned? Yeah, this is an awesome question because I have a lot of people that come to me like, do I have to be 100%? And right now, the research reveals, most importantly, that a plant forward diet is the best approach. If you look at international agencies about their recommendations on diet, such as the World Health Organization, um, the American Institute for Cancer Research, the list goes on. If you look at their nutrition and dietary and lifestyle recommendations, it really just says a plant focused diet. Now, whether or not 100% vegan diet or a, a flexitarian plant forward diet, is this gonna provide the same benefit? To be honest, I don't think we 100% have that conclusive information. And that's because of the complexity of nutrition research. For example, the best way to get to know what the absolute best diet is would probably require us to have thousands of pregnant women, excuse me, even three months or more before they would even conceive be able to look at their diet and lifestyle, then randomize them in diets during their pregnancy, follow their offspring for several you know, decades, and they're controlled into two different diets. Like That would be the only way to really truly get a 100% definitive answer. And as you can imagine, that research would nearly be impossible. So we don't really have the data that says, yes, 100% plant-based diet is what you need to go versus a plant-forward diet. So really a lot of the research that we have really focuses on a plant forward, plant centered diet. And so really when it comes to clients making the decision, whether they want to be hundred percent or plant-based plant forward, I encourage them to think about what their ultimate goals are and also how they might feel that they're going to be most successful. If they can still have a little bit of animal products, is that going to help them be more successful because then they're not depriving themselves? So I take that from an individual approach, how I look at clients and what might be the best choice for them. And so I think, again, it comes down to that individual choice. But if we know that if we can focus on a predominantly plant-based diet that's unprocessed, that's where we're going to see the biggest benefit. Whether we have to be 100% or not is really unknown, but I would say plant forward is probably just the best approach. I have a feeling there's some folks out there who are breathing a deep sigh of relief right now because going 100% anything, it can be hard. And those absolutes in nutrition research are very hard to come by. So I, I hear you. And in and on the environmental front, which I always like to mention, even just cutting animal protein by 50% by having animal protein can have significant and positive environmental effects. So uh, good news there too. And when it comes to plants, um, it would be great to discuss a little bit more about the nutritional value that plants possess that go beyond just the fiber content, beyond just the protein content. 
Can you share a bit more on the polyphenols and other plant compounds that also have a, a positive impact on health? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things to talk about here is something called phytonutrients or phytochemicals. And that's where where these polyphenols will fall under. So phytonutrients, phytochemicals are the same word, essentially use them interchangeably. And really what it means is phyto is the Greek word for plant. So it's plant nutrients. They're nutrients that are really, truly only found in plants. And we don't have necessary recommendations on them, such as an RDA or a recommended dietary allowance, such as beta carotene. That's a type of phytonutrient found in sweet potatoes that makes it orange. We don't have like, you need to have this much beta carotene every day in order to meet your needs, such as we would for maybe carbohydrates or fat recommendations. So we don't have this conclusive evidence, but what we do know is that if we get a wide variety of phytonutrients, we have the best disease protection. So these phytonutrients tend to give the odor, color, and even flavor to the plant-based foods that we eat. So for example, I mentioned the sweet potatoes with beta carotene, that's what makes it orange. That's what gives it that orange color blueberries. They have something called anthocyanins. That's what gives it its dark blue, beautiful color. And when it even comes to things like garlic, even though garlic is very neutral in its color, that really potent smell and flavor, that is a phytonutrient called allicin. I always tell my clients, this is a great way to remember it because my name is allicin, although it's spelled differently, but I always like to joke that everyone could have use a little bit more allicin in their life, right? And these particular nutrients, such as the allicin in garlic and onions, this is a phytonutrient linked to reduce risk of stomach cancer, for example. These phytonutrients have research benefits to help reduce inflammation, to help prevent DNA from being damaged, and actually repair damage that's already happened to DNA. And fundamentally, this is essentially where cancer is, is if DNA is damaged or mutated, that's where cancer can result. So we also know that it can help regulate hormones and find that balance in hormones, prevent things that we eat, drink, and breathe from becoming carcinogenic. There are so many benefits. Nice. I think I might need to change my name to anthocyanin, Allison. So um, I'll work (laughs) on that. So these plants are powerful. And I understand that beans also have these phytochemicals in them as well. So you you look at a black bean and are some of the the kidney beans, they've got anthocyanins too, which is is a powerful uh, endorsement for getting more beans on the plate. And and again, on the environmental front, I, I like to add in the fact that legumes are so powerful for the soil. They actually help to fix nitrogen in the soil, which helps to act as its own natural fertilizer. So not only are these powerhouses for preventing disease, they are powerhouses for continuing to build our soil health, which in turn helps to create those polyphenols and those plants that help to protect us. So it's this wonderful cycle. So on the phytonutrient front, can you talk a little bit about the actual role that those phytochemicals play for the plant in terms of its own defense mechanisms? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So there is some research to show. So for example, when we're talking about organic foods, for example, there is some research to show that when a food is organically grown, it actually increases the amount of phytochemicals or phytonutrients within the plant. And the hypothesis behind that is that if we are growing a plant and we add pesticides or insecticides or whatever it might be to that plant, that it actually decreases the amount of phytonutrients in the plant because by adding those pesticides and so forth, you're actually 
decreasing the need for that plant to have an immune system. So when those things are added to plants, it reduces the phytonutrients found in the plant because they don't essentially need it for their immune system. But it also means that we as humans are not getting as many phytonutrients as well. Um, so it actually can play a big role in terms of phytonutrients. So research shows that organic foods don't necessarily have more vitamins and minerals than conventionally grown foods, but they do have more phytonutrients, which can equate with increased phytonutrients and decreased disease risk by consuming more organic foods. Yeah. So it's not just what we're eating, but it's how we are growing the food that we're eating that makes a big difference there. There's also cultural components to eating legumes. What are your thoughts on the idea of the ways in which different cultures include all different kinds of beans in their regular meals? Yeah, this is super fascinating. I've been really honored and blessed to be able to work with people all over the world. Um, so I have a current client in India, and I am learning a lot about the Indian culture and more of the Indian food because the only real exposure that I had about Indian food was what you can get at the local Indian restaurant and so forth. But she teaches me a lot about how they make they, their foods and how they incorporate it. And legumes are part of pretty much every single meal that they make in some sort of doll. And she'll send me pictures of her food so I can kind of keep track of what, what she's doing. And even in breakfast, there's always legumes. And I think about even when I traveled to Costa Rica several years ago, there was beans and rice in breakfast. And so sometimes when I have a leftover meal that I'm eating that has rice and beans or some sort of legume, my husband kind of gives me like this weird look and I'm like... This is actually what people around the world normally eat for breakfast. It's just here in the U.S., we tend to more be on that sweet side of things where legumes are very commonly used in cultures and for various different reasons. Some of it is because meat is so expensive or hard to get where legumes are much easier um, access and ability to use and cook and store and so forth. So it's actually incredibly normal and widespread use of legumes and can be such a wonderful impact into the diet. Beans for breakfast. I see a recipe book mm -hmm. coming out here. So talk a little bit about soy, because there's still some controversy about soy protein and impact on health. And it would be great to learn about your expert opinion, especially with those who have certain medical conditions like cancer. I get this question a lot. So what is the research saying about the safety of consuming soy and the likelihood of increasing any cancer risk? Yes. To keep it really simple, soy is beneficial and protective against hormonally-based cancers such as breast cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian cancer. Now, the thought was, and the reason why there's so much like questions around soy is that there's a study several decades ago that came out about feeding rodents, mice versus rats, and gave them a high, high soy diet to see if there was any development of breast cancer. One rodent developed breast cancer, one did not. And that was quickly translated into the human diet that, oh, we shouldn't be eating this because it increases the risk of breast cancer in these particular rodents. Now, thousands of human studies later, thousands of human studies later actually show that soy is protective against this, these diseases. And it is because soy contains something called phytoestrogens, right? So I described that before with the phytonutrients that phyto is a Greek word for plant. They are plant estrogens. 
So the thought was, well, if these rodents are increasing their breast cancer risk, we as humans, and these are phytoestrogens, why would we want more estrogen in our body if we have an estrogen field cancer, like an estrogen field breast cancer? Well, the thought makes sense. However, phytoestrogens are not the same as human estrogens. I like to describe it as in some cases, in some respects, that there's a key and a lock. For every hormone in our body, there's a receptor. And that's like the lock. That's what it fits, the key fits into. And the hormone is like the key. Okay. So you have the key, sits in the lock, opens the lock, the door opens. Awesome. Okay. Now, have you ever had that time where you had a key, you swore it was the key for that door and it fits into the lock, but it doesn't open the lock? That's exactly what phytoestrogens are, is that they can sit in that receptor, but it doesn't necessarily make the receptor work. So that's one way that phytoestrogens have actually been shown to be protective against diseases like breast cancer and other hormonally-based cancers. So there's actually been research also done in breast cancer survivors that had estrogen receptor positive cancer and show that the survivors who consume the most amount of soy into survivorship actually have reduced rates of recurrence and reduced rates of mortality. So we actually encourage the consumption of whole soy food products as much as possible. I don't recommend that someone goes out and buys a soy supplement and sprinkles it all on their food. We don't want that. We want to try to focus on things such as edamame, tempeh, tofu, soy milk. Those are going to be the better sources of soy. And research has shown that even consumption of up to three servings per day can actually be incredibly beneficial. And I have to put a little plug from the standpoint of that tofu and soy products can actually be really great at lowering cholesterol as well. So it's not only is it helpful in hormonal based diseases, but even in that heart disease, you know, I've seen it firsthand and, you know, my own family increasing the consumption of soy based products and the drastic reduction in LDL cholesterol or bad cholesterol. So there's a lot of benefits for inclusion of soy uh, in, in the diet for many reasons. It sounds like not just cancer, but for protection of, of, of heart health as well. And, and I, I always like to differentiate since be so much of the soy that we produce right now is 90, I think 90% of the soy that we produce is genetically modified, but organic soy is not going to be genetically modified. And that may be something else to think about as it relates to potential um, health benefits and also environmental benefits. Do you think there's any difference with soy recommendations uh, among genders? I think oftentimes that there's some hesitancy of soy recommendation for males. However, there's no research to show that can increase the growth of or increase estrogen in males or produce what would be called male breasts or anything like that. Um, actually, incredibly protective against diseases like prostate cancer in men. So there is oftentimes, I think, that um, hesitation, but it's actually still incredibly beneficial for males to consume soy as well. Excellent. You mentioned soy is beneficial for heart disease as well as maybe cancer prevention or regression of, of, uh, of cancer. Are there other medical conditions where you would give different advice to different people in accordance with the condition that they have when it comes to plant-based eating? So overall, we do have research of different disease types and what types of foods might be a little bit better for a disease type to include when it comes to the plant-based diet. However, Overall, 
many of the recommendations are the same from the standpoint of trying to aim for as much unprocessed, whole plant-based foods as much as possible that fall into the categories of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and some nuts and seeds. There are some little differences here and there depending on the disease type, but one of the things that I love about plant-based nutrition is that it can be so beneficial across the board for many different disease types, and it's often not, very rarely, that if you would recommend one thing for one disease and it would be working against the other disease, that doesn't happen very often because a plant-based diet is so beneficial for overall health. So yes, there are a little bit of changes here and there, but not very many, and we don't see it very often. Interesting. And ultimately, all of our systems, all of our organs are talking to each other. So what benefits one organ or one system is going to obviously benefit another. And, and what about your practice? You've worked with lots and lots of patients. How have you seen maybe a specific story of a patient in particular where adopting a plant-based diet has been really beneficial for somebody in terms of improving their health? Oh man, the benefits are just so crazy. And I am so blessed to have so many great patient testimonials and see these success stories. And if it's okay, I'd like to tell you about two of them at least. And one is cancer related. And from the standpoint of a stage four breast cancer that had metastasized to the lungs. And this patient had come to me after their physicians had told them that we don't really have any other treatments for you. Um, our goal is to try to keep you, you know, high quality of life as long as possible and hopefully get you to your son's Naval Academy induction. So he's going to the Naval Academy. So she came to me in March and his induction into the Naval Academy, I believe, was in June so that they were trying to extend her life until there. Now, there are no guarantees in the plant-based diet or anything like that. Disease states and cancer states are multifactorial. There's a lot of factors. However, she said, you know, I want to try this. How would you encourage that I do it? We talked about whole, unprocessed foods as much as possible, gave her guidance. And the next time she had a scan, about six weeks later, was the first time that they had not seen progression in her disease. It was the only time they saw stability. And even in, there was two lung nodules and one of them actually was completely gone and one was reduced by, um, by 25%. So did it eradicate the disease completely? No. But did it help increase her longevity? Yes. Her quality of life? Yes. And I can thankfully say that she's, she's still here. And that was 2018. Wow. And so she lives with stage four breast cancer, but her quality of life is incredible. And not only did she see the induction of her son into the academy, she's about to see his graduation. And so that there's some really awesome things. And thankfully, I have lots of stories and patients like that. Um, I always like to emphasize there's no guarantee, but what we do know about nutrition is that it can be a really great complement to the current treatments and things that we have available to us, um, such as the same thing like exercise and physical activity, relaxation and meditation. These can all play an important role in the disease process. Now, the other one story that I wanted to share was about, I have a twin sister. My twin was diagnosed with lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. Um, she was diagnosed in 2013. Her physician told her when she asked her, what can I do diet or lifestyle wise to help myself? And the physicians responded by saying that there wasn't really anything she could do other than take these medications. You're just going to be on them for the rest of your life. That's how we manage this disease. 
I can thankfully tell you that to this day, my sister's disease is in remission. She went down from 16 pills to one. And she has a beautiful baby girl, which unfortunately a lot of women of um, that have lupus during their childbearing years are unable to have children because of the medications that are required. And she told me the best part is that some days she actually forgets that she has lupus. And because she lives an incredibly high quality life doing the things that she loves to do. And as her twin sister, that was one of the most important things for me, you know, to see her live in such agony when she was first diagnosed and not even being able to get out of bed on her own. And some of these things was really incredibly heartbreaking. And with plant-based nutrition, overall healthy lifestyle, such as meditation and yoga and physical activity, we've been able to put her disease in remission and her double-stranded ANA, which is a lab marker or a lab test for um, lupus. Her value was almost 400 when she was diagnosed and her physician thought she would never get under the level of hundred for reference. Normal is like zero to 35 in her most recent lab value. It was 88. And so we keep proving her rheumatologist wrong that these things can make a difference and help manage the disease in many respects. So of course, that hits home very personally for me, and I'm just so grateful to have learned about the plant-based diet and the research available to help make these differences in not only patients' lives, but my own life and my sister's life. That is such a powerful personal story and also such a, a testimony for the power of food as medicine and, and also the, the marker, the lab value, being able to prove that you've got evidence, hardcore evidence. And I think, you know, we look for that as health practitioners and as consumers to understand, well, what's the evidence behind some of these, these recommendations that are being given? And I'm curious, where do you see having someone start one of these diets, whether it's a healthcare practitioner who wants to begin a patient on a plant-based diet or someone who's a health-minded consumer who's thinking, gosh, I think this might be a good path for me. Where do you recommend people begin? I think for a majority of people, you have to start small and slow. There are some people that I've met that they can just make that decision and they make the 180 degree change overnight. However, for most people, that's not realistic and it doesn't usually happen that way. My own journey, I did not grow up as a plant-based eater. I still live in Wisconsin, so there's lots of dairy, lots of bratwurst and meat and so forth. And I personally, when I decided to make the change and move towards a plant-based diet, I didn't do it overnight. In fact, I did it over several months. And how I started was just decided like, I'm going to limit this in my diet. So I said, you know, I'm going to stop drinking milk with dinner. And I just slowly worked it out. Same thing for many people. One of my first recommendations is to focus on adding rather than subtracting from the standpoint of don't worry about getting rid of dairy or meat yet. If you want to desire to completely get rid of those, but focus on adding more whole plant-based foods to your diet. And the other stuff will start getting crowded out you'll start feeling amazing. And that was really for me, I always tell people that for many people, there's like this light switch that goes off and then you're like, eh, I kind of just don't want it anymore. Like, and so it everybody's journey is different. However, my biggest recommendation to start is just start small, start with one small goal, start adding whole plant-based foods and just go from there. That really takes the the pressure off. So I bet folks are happy to hear that adding in as opposed to uh, taking out is, is a great place to begin. Before we sign off, 
Are there any other resources that you want to share for those who want to learn more about plant-based eating for chronic diseases? Yeah, absolutely. So there are many different resources out there, especially because the plant-based nutrition industry is booming, which is great. I always want to encourage people though, that when you're focusing on going in a plant forward direction, truly focus on those whole unprocessed foods as much as possible, right? We're not talking about maybe some highly processed foods that just have the word vegan written on it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. Over on our website, wholesomellc.com, I do have a free five-day plant-based guide, and it walks through breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and even dessert of plant-based nutrition to help people get an idea of what it's like to eat a plant-based diet. And it has grocery lists and also has prep ideas to help make the week easier. There's lots of great places to start, but of course I'd recommend coming over to Wholesome LLC and checking out our recipes and some of those on orgain.com as well. Well, thank you, Allison. It's so great to have all of this great information and these resources. So adding in more plant-based foods, taking the pressure off, focusing on whole and unprocessed foods, starting small, and of course, looking up your favorite phytochemical to see what you want to change your name to. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Allison. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. We look forward to having you join us for future episodes of the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast, sponsored by Orgain, where we'll interview more subject matter experts on a variety of health and nutrition-focused topics. To stay up to date on the latest episodes of this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks so much for tuning in, and see you next time. Whether you're looking to adopt a plant-based approach to eating for yourself or are supporting your clients on this journey, Orgain has you covered. From enjoying breakfast with their new waffle and pancake mix to fueling up with plant-based protein powders and ready-to-drink shakes with a complete amino acid profile, Orgain offers a wide variety of options in their growing plant-based portfolio. I personally enjoy the creamy chocolate fudge organic plant-based protein powder in my kale smoothie. In fact, I'm drinking some right now. To learn more, check out Orgain.com where you can find out information about Orgain's clean and nutritious plant-based products.